Hello and welcome to episode 33 of Your Fest, the podcast that is all about music festivals. I am one of your hosts, Johnny Sharples, and I'm joined as ever and always by my mustachio co-host, Tommy Stewart. Tommy, how are you doing today? I am very well today, Johnny. Uh, what's new with me? Just talking, just thinking about coffee, drinking a lot of coffee, eating a lot of croissants, having a nice time. Uh, looking forward to my birthday this week, which is uh, so I can no longer be, go bang on about being 30 anymore, much to your pleasure. And if you'd like to buy Tommy a birthday present, where you should send it to is nail it to a frisbee and fling it over a rainbow. So <laughs> for anybody that's not listened to the podcast before, do you want to give a brief explainer of what it's all about? Yeah, on your first every week, we invite a different guest to talk about their dream festival lineup. Hypothetical, it can be any artist or act or comedian, whatever you want, dead or alive. And they have to pick a name, a location, and days of the week for said festival. Boom! And our guest this week is the self proclaimed best journalist in Britain. <laughs> He's a podcaster and obviously a journalist. He hosts top flight time machine and his new mental health podcast the reset it's mr samuel delaney and he's a good friend of tommy's so tommy are you looking forward to speaking to him yeah i'm looking forward to speaking to the um the mad c word i won't say c word that early in this podcast and i will try uh you know but just because uh, johnny's mom listens and i you know now that we're pen pals uh, dear listener i wouldn't want to offend her too much but yeah he's a great man a uh yeah, a role model. He's been through some tough times like a lot of us have. But in the reset, uh, which is, you know, he, he writes every week and he does a podcast all about mental health and recovery from addiction and stuff. So as well as being a funny man and a very good writer, he is doing some good stuff. Yep. So should we get straight to it? Let us go, 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 go. This is episode 33 of Your Fest with Sam Delaney. Yeehaw! <laughs> Sam Delaney, welcome to Your Fest and to the Your Fest Planning Committee. Hello, and how are you today? I am good. Hello. Uh, thank you for inviting me here. I am excited. Ooh. Sound thrilled. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you sound ecstatic, Sam. I am. No, I'm excited about doing this. I think it's a really good idea. And um, once you know you're doing it, once Tommy asked me to do it, you can't stop thinking of like what you want to do. And I'll be honest, now I'm, I'm blinded by like the options and I found it very difficult. And uh, my brother does a podcast called Life Goals and you have to pick eight goals, the best eight goals you've ever seen or the eight most memorable goals you've seen. It was the same, and a track to go of each one. And once he said, invited me on, I say invited me on, I invited myself on. <laughs> right, But once it was organised. You got a two-parter as well, didn't you? Yeah, I got a two-parter out of it. <laughs> um, and uh, and it's his most listened to ever episode, which I never, I never tire of uh, reminding him of. Yeah, not the Johnny yeah. Sharples one. Well, uh, did you? Oh, you did it, didn't you, Johnny? Oh, yeah, I did do it. Yeah, but do you know what I mean, Johnny? Like, you'll know from doing it when someone gives you a list and it's like sort of a blank sheet of paper, it dominates your thoughts and it becomes like a hassle. 
in a way you want to stop <laughs> thinking about it but once you start you can't help and you start having arguments for yourself as if it matters and as if you're going to be penalized if you get it wrong um and that's what happened so now i'm just flying into this using the force mate i don't know what i'm going to say anything could happen is it um is it the uh oh, fucking hell, i forgot i've been using it a lot lately what is it you, what is it you call it the uh, the cosmos the cosmos the cosmos, yeah. Sometimes you just got to reach out to the cosmos and allow it to make your choices for you. It's actually quite true, you know. Sometimes the universe um, takes care of things for you that you're unable to change yourself. It changes things for you that you're unable to change yourself, right? That's something you learn in recovery from booze and drugs, which uh, does tie into festival life in many ways, <laughs> right? Does it? And, uh, and, you know, and they go, oh... Um, Oh, someone's just sorry. All right, sorry. Someone interrupted me with a WhatsApp message telling me they had COVID. But is there anyone we know? Anyone important? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was Prince Edward. <laughs> no. <laughs> it, uh, uh, yeah, no. Uh, they tell you, you know, you got sometimes you got to reach out and just let the universe take care of things, and very often it does. I mean, I didn't grow up very spiritual. In fact, I was the sort of person who's extremely cynical about anything like that, like anything you couldn't see and prove. I didn't believe in, but these days, I don't know. Sometimes little things change in your life that seem problematic, and then turns out to have been a good thing. What the fuck am I on about? This <laughs> <laughs> Listen to some. Right, I, I just had a really strong coffee. I could fucking say anything. Sorry. Right. <laughs> Festivals. Um, yeah. Yeah. Go on. Carry on. Like that's it. I mean, you know, I've, I've had my say about the universe. Um, <laughs> I don't know if it made much sense. It <laughs> certainly has no relevance to what you've asked me here to discuss. Yeah. But you take it or leave it. Edit it out is my advice. <laughs> In fact, you do sound a bit like someone that you might bump into at a festival. Uh, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, can meet you in um, uh, Glastonbury, like in the fucking um, oh shit, what is the uh, you know the hippie the the bit where they all burn fires and stuff? You've been to Glastonbury, oh, yeah. haven't you, Sam? Yeah, you went. You went with my sister, actually, didn't you? For I went with your sister, yeah. Which sounds much dodgier than it is. I mean, <laughs> we just we went there together in a professional capacity, and it's actually quite funny story about it well there's a few funny stories about that weekend uh but i remember just like f fucking having a meltdown at glastonbury i i went i was at i must admit this is sort of quite uncool in a way because i'd never actually been to glastonbury and even when i was a student there everyone in those days in the 90s you still like piling a bunch of cars go over there and bunk in because you used to <laughs> bunk in there used to always be a story of, I mean, you've probably heard all these stories from doing the podcast, but there used to be scousers. You'd find scousers who would have always set up some ro a rope system and would charge you money to get you over the fence, right? This is what yeah, I we've heard. heard. So we, we've heard about the, the, we've heard a bit about the fence hopping thing. We didn't know that they were generally specifically scousers. Well, people used to always say, when you get there, find the scousers with the ropes. That's <laughs> what was just a thing that people said. And I, in my mind, it just seemed like a, you know, like a sort of a, yeah, just like there was a family of them or something who specialised in in ropes, right, <laughs> or whatever, or bunking. Um, yeah, so it was that. So, yeah, people always did that, and I never did it. Uh, I just couldn't be asked. To be honest, I thought, I'm not fucking going all the way from Brighton, which is where we're at university, to fucking Somerset 
to then take a chance on climbing over a fucking fence, right? And then just taking my chances the whole weekend about a tent or anything or any stuff with me or anything like that. So I never went. And the first time I went, this is what's embarrassing, was just professionally. The guy I was, I was working for Guardian, they asked me to go, right, to do a story. Um, and so I thought, yeah, great, because I'll go and get all VIP'd up. But also at the time I was doing bits and bobs for the Radio 5 Live and your sister, that's how I know your sister, and, and she was going to do a show. And I said, look, I'm going to be there anyway, The Guardian, so I might as well do some stuff with you on the radio. So that's how it worked out. Um, so I got all my work done quite quickly when I got there and then I just started getting battered. And I remember on like the, the second night, I think that night, I think that year there was Jay-Z and Amy Winehouse were both there. Right. Jay-Z was doing one headline night and, and Amy Winehouse was doing the other. And we were backstage and like it was, and all work was done. I think we'd done the radio show that morning. Um, I'd done all the stuff I needed to do for the paper. And it was supposed to just be like, wait, now we can just like, you know, get battered. And um, the Guardian had like a port in the, in the press area. There's all these porter cabins and each porter cabin, like a different publication. And so there was the enemy, blah, blah, blah. And, we're, you know, the Guardian porter cabin. And I was in it, but I didn't know. I was all freelance. So I didn't know many of the other people. And, they, they, you could have a tent there or the Guardian rented a house, which was about 10 minutes off site in a taxi. And it was quite yeah. a nice cottage, right? And that was sort of available to anyone who wanted to use it. But most of the other sort of young music-y writers, and I was young myself, by the way, right, who were from the Guardian, they were like, no, man, we're all going to stay, uh, we're not going to sleep. Or like, oh, we'll crash, crash down in someone's tent. And I was like... I wasn't really mates them. I didn't really know them. And I went, I'm back to that fucking house. I don't care. I mean, I'll fucking walk from here to that house because it's got a bed and a telly and a fridge and a kettle, right? And the only other person from The Guardian who decided to use the house was the 75-year-old columnist, Alexander Chancellor, now sadly dead. But he was, you know, an old sort of Fleet Street legend who was now in his autumn years. And as a sort of a funny thing, they thought, let's send Alexander Chancellor, our oldest writer, to Glastonbury to see what he makes it. And he turned up, you know, in his suit and all that, looking like a country gent, right? Yeah. Really old and like lovely bloke. And uh, so everyone was laughing. So they said, so let's get this straight. The Guardian sent like a dozen people. And the only two who are staying in the cosy cottage are Alexander Chancellor and you, right? And I was like, I, I don't give a fuck. Right. I will need to, I know what I'm like. I will need to fucking go home and crash out at some just point. Rest, just rest. Just rest the lifestyle. Rest. And, uh, but then there was the, the thing, the thing, that, and I thought, well, what I'll do is I thought it was, I remember on a Saturday night, we'd had quite a big night on Friday. I think it was the Saturday night. And I was like, okay, um, I'll, I'll get, I'll finish my work. I'll get battered. I'll stay for as late as I need to stay. I'll, I'll watch Amy Winehouse. And, but then I'll, I'll somehow get back to this cottage so I can get a few hours kit. But like, I was just finishing up my work in the porter cabin and I was already, I'd been sort of semi on it, you know, and you're like semi on it, but you're trying to sort of hold it back a bit. So it's not too noticeable. Anyway, I had this, um, I, I don't want to like sort of say his name because I don't want to sort of, you know, because I'm going to slag him off a bit. No, but I'll say it's a relative, right? But a relative, a cousin, 
who I don't know that well, lot okay. younger than lot younger than me, right? right. Um, but you know, like you might have cousins who you know, but you don't you don't really you're not close to you go, oh yeah, I know that. Anyway, yeah, he was at Glastonbury and I knew he was at Glastonbury, so I dropped him a note on Facebook or something saying I'm there. And this bloke, he's was much younger than me. So I was probably about 30, baby, and he was like 20. And he's also quite posh and obnoxious and like was a musician and sort of thought he was a bit think Johnny Burrell out of Razorlight, right? Oh. He's that kind of a character, oh. right? And anyway, I'm in the fucking uh, port cabin trying to be professional, finishing writing my copy. And suddenly I hear, it's Sam Delaney in here. And I look up and he's fucking stumbled in. No shoes or socks on, which straight wow. away I'm like, alarm bells, right? And he's going, hey, man. Hey, I thought I'd find you here. Oh, I managed to break my way backstage. How's it going, man? And I was like, oh, fuck's sake. What's he fucking come here for, right? And then he goes, hey, man, uh, you got anything on you? And like, you started talking about drugs. I'm like, no, no, I haven't got any drugs or anything like that. I was just trying to get rid of him. He goes, hey, man, have some of this MDMA. And he got out this wrap of MDMA and he opened it, right? And I must admit, age 30, this would have been like 98 or something. I'd, you know, I'd had pills and stuff, but I'd never really tried MDMA, right? And I went, what's that? And he goes, it's MDMA, man. And I said, what are you supposed to do with it? And he goes, just like dab a bit, man. And this was in the middle of the, like, the Guardian offices and everyone's looking round, right? And I felt really self-conscious and embarrassed. But at the same time, that once the professional side of me, such as it is, I was thinking, oh, this is fucking embarrassing. What's he doing? He's off his face. He's stumbled in here. He's shouting. He's got a load of drugs out on the fucking table, right? But the other side of me was thinking, you little cunt, making out that you're fucking more hardcore than I am. I'll show you, you dickhead, right? And he goes, yeah, just take a dab, man. It'll be great. So I just fucking stuck my hand in and, like, basically picked it all up and ate it, right? And he just went, whoa, fucking hell. And I, what? He went, man, you just took a lot of MDMA. I mean, me me and my mate, fucking whatever, Charlie wouldn't take that much. And I always remember what he said. He said, and we're seasoned rush heads. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I went, you're what? And he went, we're seasoned rush heads. And I went, oh, fucking are you? Don't worry about that. Rush. And I was a bit like, don't worry about that, mate. I'd do twice that and still run a fucking mile. I'm fine. Anyway, cut long story short, I was not fine, right? I started really freaking out really badly. And that's what I remember about, then I met up with your sister as planned and we'd sort of plan, right, all our work's finished, we're great. And then fucking Amy Winehouse is coming on any minute, right? And I just, um, suddenly, I remember talking to her and there was a couple of other people there. And in the middle of it, I got so paranoid and freaked out. I just stood up. And I ran off. And she called out after me, where are you going? And I went, back to the house. <laughs> but it was like really early. It was like eight o'clock or something like that on Saturday night at Glastonbury. And I just fucking ran off site. And I found a cab. Like by the backstage, there was some cab mini cabs hanging around. And I jumped in and just eyes oh, like saucers, sweating. And just tell me about this address. I gave him the address. And I went back and I just sat on this sofa in a cottage on my own watching Amy Winehouse on TV, even oh though I could have been backstage watching her from there, right? Knowing that the, the people I was there, because there was a few mates who were there as well as your sister, they were all there having a fucking great time. And I was having a panic attack, sat on this sofa watching it. 
And after oh, I, yeah. I and then after I finished watching her, right, I remember eating a bag of crisps and having a cup of tea and hoping <laughs> to Christ that it would bring me down, right? So I've been spiked by my idiot cousin, right? And then eventually I just thought, oh, fuck this, I'm going to bed now. So I went upstairs to my bedroom, but I was quite spooked as well because it's a little cottage in the middle of the countryside and no one was around. And I started like, I got changed into my gym jams. <laughs> I was just getting into bed when I heard something downstairs and I fucking freaked out. I'm like, fucking someone's getting in. So I ran downstairs, fucking grabbed the knife, opened the back door. And who's there but Alexander Chancellor, the 75-year-old <laughs> columnist, who'd come home two hours after me. <laughs> Went, what on earth are you doing here? And I was like, fuck, came home early. Why did you do that? I mean, I thought I'd come home early. I was like, oh, I wasn't feeling very well. <laughs> and that was that. And then me and him just, you know, bunked up the night in our cottage together, had breakfast together in the morning, and I just fucked off home in shame, full of, sh full of shame and self-hatred. What was he like? Was he? Did you? Did, you didn't have to share a bed or anything, did you? No. Nah, season Rushed. <laughs> no, I didn't ask him, but I would assume that he was more seasoned than me, considering he managed to get get home two hours later. Fine. So that's a bit of a humid. That's my first and last time at Glastonbury, and it's not really. A, it's sort of a humiliating story in some in many ways. Well, it's. I have a. I have a. Um, uh, you just got me thinking of MDMA, which I actually stopped taking. <laughs> um, years ago because I would get weirdly it would have the effect on me the basically the adverse effect that it's supposed to have because it's supposed to be like uh like joyous isn't it and uplifting mm, and yeah. like almost like like ecstasy basically the cause yeah. of ecstasy and, I always thought of it as stronger ecstasy yeah basically yeah yeah I MDMA um if you're going to do class A's don't do that one it's a bad one in my opinion I don't know I reckon there's worse ones I just overdid it because I was showing <laughs> off to a child <laughs> yeah, well, I think I ever did it as well. Uh, yeah, sorry. Anyway, uh, enough drug stories. Carry on uh, hosting our professional podcast, Johnny. Thank you. Um, so, other than Glastonbury, have you been to any other uh, festivals? Yeah, I've been to a few. Um, not many, sort of like staying over the night ones. I went to Bestival, uh, I think it was this maybe even the same year. I went to festival for my best mate stag. I was the best man and I didn't, and I organized the whole thing. Um, but I didn't enjoy myself really there either. I, we, I decided cause we, you know, I guess by then I'm like 30. I can't remember. Anyway. Yeah. Old enough to sort of afford a little bit more luxury. And to be honest, that's probably the truth about me, why I didn't go when I was young. I did go to some festivals when I was young that you didn't stay at. Like, I used to go to the Essential Festival in Brighton every year, uh, which was great. But you'd just go there all day and then fuck off home at the end of it. Um, but, yeah, I just, you know, even when I was young, I was like, I just don't fucking fancy spending a load of time in a tent, man. And I don't want to shit into a hole. I just don't. I'm, I, there's no band I love enough to do that. You know, not even. <laughs> That's what I thought. There's no. There's no band who I'm desperate enough to see in that context. That's what I basically thought. Um, but when I went to festival, we got. So when we went to festival, I, I got like a luxury camper trailer, like a Winnie Bago style thing, uh, which we drove to the Isle of Wight, and I got it. I paid for it. 
as something like as a sort of best man's gift to the groom in a way. I said, I've organized everything. Everyone's coming. Everyone's doing different things, camping or whatever. But for you, mate, I've hired us a fucking Winnie Bago. It wasn't a Winnie Bago, but it was that kind of thing. That's got a toilet and a shower and separate bedrooms. Fucking brilliant. Right. right. And I thought that is really good because if things get on top, because I can't, I mean, that story about Glastonbury, when I did used to get on it, as you know, Tommy, I'm teetotal in every way these days. But when I used to get on it, I used to, I was, I was susceptible to funny turns. Like when I was a kid, I was, when I was a teenager, I was epileptic and into my 20s as well. I mean, I don't know where I stand, I just haven't had a fit for years. And I used to like sometimes get myself in the right state. And so I thought it's very important that I've got this camper van. So if everyone else is getting out of it and I start to feel iffy, I can, I've just got somewhere I can go, I can lock the door and I can chill. Yeah. But the problem was we got to, to Bestival and it had been fucking raining like really badly for quite a number of days. And it was an absolute mud bath, like your worst nightmare. Like oh. you just couldn't walk, right? And so all of the other people, there was about 20 other blokes there on this stag who'd all brought tents. They couldn't even barely pitch their tents. I mean, it was hell, right? So every fucker came around to this camper van that I'd got, right? And it, and every fucker, not just on the stag, but every fucker they bumped into or met said, oh, don't worry, you can come to my mate's camper van. Oh. They're sort of having a party. And you don't want to be the Lampard character who's going, actually, we're full. You can't come in. Who are you? I don't know you. Because right? you're at a fucking mess store and I'm supposed to be the best man. So you don't want to be a dick. But I tell you, I really wanted to be a dick. Do you know what I mean? Because I was like, the whole point I got this thing was that I had a sanctuary. But I tell you, within an hour of being there, the whole fucking van was fucked, right? It was full of strangers. Oh, there was people, yeah. everyone getting off their face, people taking the piss. You're that geezer at a pile spot. Again, excuse me, get out. Who are you? Get out of there. That, you put mud on the furniture, right? And everyone's thinking, who's this uptight cunt? And that's what I was, right? But you can imagine. I don't it got, it basically, and it stayed like that for the whole weekend. I didn't get any sleep. My bed was more or less, you know, everyone was sitting on it or anything. So it made no difference at all. And we, and then obviously it goes without saying, we sort of crashed the van on the way back from the Isle of Wight. Obviously. And yeah. we had to pay a fuck that like we crashed it. So the outside was fucked. The inside was ruined, right? We got a full, we paid for the most expensive valet you could get, but it'd been so full of people covered in mud and just oh. spilling drinks and taking drugs and just, being terrible, right, smoking, that the whole interior of this really new plush van was just battered and fucked, and I had to, like, pay loads of money to them. So that's a painful memory. But the festival was pretty good. I saw the specials there. I walk in a bar and immediately I sense danger. You look at me, girl, as if I was some kind of a, a total stranger. And it was a surprise gig. And the specials, who I'd always loved, now, I mean, the specials are fucking, they turn up every day, even got an album out a couple of years ago. But then they had not played together in, well, I mean, yes. it must have been well over 20 years. Yeah. And we knew there was a surprise guest. So we all headed to this particular stage and Gary Newman was on the stage, right? And I think Ecstasy had got it was involved again. 
and it was the afternoon and Gary Newman was on stage doing like, that's the best thing about festivals is when you stumble upon a band that you would never actively choose to see, (laughs) but you, you know, you kind of, yeah, I quite, quite like Gary Newman. I mean, I would never go out my way to buy Gary Newman tickets, but yeah, yeah, cars, our friends electric, they're good good songs, you know? And then you stumble to your stage because we heard at some point a special guest act would be coming on. And the rumour was it was going to be Grace Jones, which would have been very exciting, right? And when we got there, it was Gary Newman was doing his set. So we're here now. Who's that? Oh, it's Gary Newman. So he does Cars and Our Friends Electric. And we're going, and again, it's worth saying, no one likes drug stories. I've already told too many and they're, they're boring. But it, it is worth saying that, I suppose, when you've taken ecstasy, then everything probably is amplified. So my re- reviews of the bands I saw in this state <laughs> might be unreliable, right? <laughs> Because we just saw half of Gary Newman's set and I was like literally going, this is the best live show I've ever seen. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. What and then, time was it? What time? Like, it was midnight. like lunchtime or something, right? And I was like, this is, I mean, this is fucking brilliant, right? And then we thought, right, then he finished and they go, right, coming up, very special guest, completely unadvertised. And then the specials came out and I, like, I was already in a very euphoric state and I'd love the specials and they were the sort of band that, had kind of said at various times, oh, hell would have to freeze over. We would never reform. And people have been trying to get them to reform for ages. And I don't know for a fact if this was the first time they'd done it together in all those years. But it was certainly the first time I was aware of. And then Terry Hall walked out and I was like, fucking hell, it's the specials. And they just did like their classic, uh, you know, out debut album pretty much. That was it. And then a couple of other singles like Ghost Town and stuff. It was absolutely amazing. And, yeah. and the surprise was what made it so incredible. That's, um, I saw them around the same time, I think, but it wasn't a surprise. I, th- I think it was at like V-Fest or something. And then I went to see them at like on, on their own gig, like not long after. And um, genuinely like one of the best bands I've ever seen in the sense that like they sound exactly, they just sound like the specials. Like it doesn't, because he's basically got a sort of talking, talking singing voice. Yeah, yeah. So his like, voice um, doesn't suck. His delivery doesn't change too much with age. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I was, I was really Johnny. What was that channel that Nathan from former Your Fest uh, panelist, the, the YouTube channel, he recommended? Which I'll send you some. It's brilliant, actually. But we should share it out. Yeah, it's called Trash Theory. Basically, it's a brilliant uh, YouTube channel where they just do like 20, 25 minute documentaries on certain songs or so oh, like MIA's like Paper Planes and stuff. Um, and this guy is just he's scrupulous, like in his research and stuff. Sorry, I'm scrupulous. And um he does uh, he does one on gorillas and feel good ink and like uh, basically Damon Albarn said the reason he stopped learning and started gorillas was because he just wanted to be in the specials that was all he was obsessed and obviously gorillas doesn't sound exactly like it yeah there's a very similarity yeah and he's like all my life I wanted to be in the specials and I still want to be in the specials like that's all he wanted and ended up making a brilliant indie sort of garage punk band in, in blur but um, yeah that was the reason he started gorillas basically um, that's interesting that i was never a huge blur fan but i remember when i first bought part life and i never bought blur record for but at that time it was like everyone was buying this album part life so i thought i'll give it a go yeah and um you didn't want to be saying I, I remember listening to it with my brother and saying oh it reminds me of the specials ah, there you and go. then going it doesn't sound like specials it hasn't got any reggae in it which it hasn't but all the, the lyrics were very similar to the specials because they're all those little sort of vignettes about urban living and stuff like that yeah so yeah it's interesting you should say that but i i'm a sucker for those kind of story of the song things i love them 
I'll hoover them up. Oh, mate, this this channel is like Johnny showed it me the other day, and the one of the best ones actually. I don't know if you watch it yet, Johnny. We were talking about it. Is the teenage dirtbag one? You know, sort of like we. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. story behind that is just like it's crazy like it's really oh i'll yeah. definitely watch it yeah that's brilliant yeah. i mean it's got like hundreds of hundreds of videos it's mm. our youtube recommendation of the week yeah love it yes new feature yeah uh, the other act i saw at that um weekend uh, festival um maybe even the same day i don't know was um the human league right again when you look at the lineup, I can't remember who were headlining that year, but you know the list goes all the way down the poster, and the Human League would have been fairly low down, right? Yeah. And we happen, and it, uh, I suppose I, I would say if someone asked me, "Do you like festivals?" I'd say, "Not really. I can't see myself going to them." But when I think of great moments, they're almost always things that I have stumbled upon. Yeah. So I'm in a fucking tent, and the Human League come on, right? And again, Human League are a band that I liked but i don't until that point i don't think i would have thought oh, i'm gonna buy tickets going to see the human league especially now i might have done in the 80s i wasn't old enough but you know god oh, an 80s nostalgia band don't want to see it fucking hell again hadn't planned on seeing them happens been the right time the right place was blown away from the first to the last moment of the gig you were working as a waitress in a even when I'd come down off of all the drugs and I'd straightened my head out, <laughs> I still went out of my way after that, a few of us who'd been there, to buy tickets to see the Human League when they next played in well, London. Just went to a Human... Yeah, and they were great again. And I think I was more sober on that occasion. They were really good. So it, it, that's the good thing about festivals, I suppose. Don't you want me, baby? seem to come away having been surprised by something that you didn't actually you weren't there to see yeah you know very very rarely do i come away and oh i just went and see the headline act and they were great and and that was that sort of thing i found uh well i was gonna ask you john your well there's two the first class we i went to 2013 which i've spoken about before in this podcast but it's um Went very unprepared, just me, my brother, and another mate. Um, and not like me, you know, like a bunch of girls there. And it was like, it was the hottest glass room I've ever been to. And um, but I ended up seeing Alt J and 
Foles, who neither of whom I was a big fan of, but they were both like on consecutively and the XX. It was like oh, very indie sort of like that sort of indie at, at the time. And like just all three of them were like fucking belting. Like the XX yeah. I loved anyway. But and after that, like I, you know, for six months at least, I got heavily into Alt J and Foles. Maybe not like yeah, yeah. yeah no, it's, it's amazing when you see a band. So, I mean, you just never know. But because some bands I've loved and actually a bad live show has put me off them generally. And I've stopped listening to their records, which is really? stupid. And there's a couple of bands that I've sort of quite liked, gone out of my way to go and see. And it being so lacklustre that I'm just like, ah, can't bother because it sours my thought of them. Um, but it's stupid because if you like their studio output, you like their studio output. They're just not the same live. They're not as good at playing that way, I suppose. But equally, there are bands that you had no interest in, but you see them do one good gig, and after that, you're just hooked for life sort of thing. So yeah. it is amazing, isn't it? I mean, yeah, live music is amazing. But you know, I'm not here to tell you that. You know that. <laughs> Johnny, when you, went, when you went to your one festival, uh, yeah. Reading, sorry, Leeds. 2004. Was there any bands that you saw that, uh, that won you over, or did you just go and fucking hate it that much that... Uh, Basically, Sam, obviously it's it's very loose. And the more and more we've done this podcast, the more I realise I fucking hate festivals now. And I, <laughs> we started the concept as Johnny hates them, I love them. And uh, like you say, the tent, the camping and the toilet thing. Oh, I just hate all that. Yeah, I just but don't. Yeah, so, so and John, well, Johnny, Johnny realised that as a younger man, like much more sensibly than me. But um, yeah, did you say anyone then who was, or did you just like hate the whole fucking thing? Both um, hated hated it and saw bands. So I saw the Wild Hearts, who um, Ginger Wild Heart, uh, who did Vanilla Radio, and they did an amazing cover of the theme from Cheers, which I was obsessed with. them in one of the smaller tents and they were really good they're like an old school rock just a normal rock band but he has huge ginger dreadlocks or did at the time and that I you got ginger dreadlocks after that i already one they weren't ginger and i already had them at that point and, uh, <laughs> and the second i saw dillinger escape plan who um were on who i knew a bit about and um they uh their previous at reading and leeds was that were the vocalist um took a dump in a bag and threw it into the audience um, <laughs> It's quite a statement. <laughs> yeah, so I saw, so I sort of knew who they were. They're like this high, hardcore, you know, metalcore band. Um, but I went to watch them on the basis of the, the, the I don't know what drew me to them, but it was the story of, of his antics. And at this what one, he, um, well, at this one, he climbed up the. They were playing the um, the concrete jungle stage, and um, that tent, and he climbed up the middle pole in the middle of the um, of the tent and started doing his vocals from the 
basically the top of the tent as high as he could go and the sound men were like if you don't come down we're going to cut the sound off if you don't come down we're going to cut the sound off and he just refused to come down so they cut the sound and the whole crowd was booing like massively so they re- they put the sound back on and he eventually came back down and went back on stage but they're another band where just his uh theatrics and antics um, Did he jump added off? to the occasion pardon did he jump off and like the crowd catch him? That's what I'm imagining. No, he should be shy, wouldn't he? Like a coconut tree. <laughs> but yeah, the the Dillinger Escape Plan over like the the antics and stuff that you hear from their gigs are like the rumors that you used to hear of Slipknot gigs, which which weren't actually true. But with Dillinger Escape Plan, yeah, he did take a. I wonder how much a, sound like with like a generational thing. Do you are you aware of that sound? Like we growing up, you know, like. Early 2000s, you would have been like, well, like 10 years older than Johnny. So we like grew up in school with like, that was the, the fucking scene, new metal when we were. Right, so, yeah. You know, like Slipknot, do you know about them? Like, what were the rooms? Like they used to be sick on, they bring out like dead animals, be yeah, sick. Yeah, they bring out like, they, like dead, dead pigs crow. and throw them in. Mm. Yeah. And Did they actually do it? Dead crow. Um, the, the crow thing, I think is true, but I don't think they're like throwing animal guts into the audience and stuff like that was true. Because I remember wanting to see them, but I was too, at 12 years old, I was way too scared because I thought, I assumed that happened at all their gigs. No, I think it was just rumour. Well, I promise Weren't Slipknot, in fact, if you met them, just really polite young men. <laughs> yeah, so Corey Taylor from Slipknot, the vocalist from Slipknot, has done um, Off Menu, Ed Gamble and James Acaster's food yeah. podcast, he, and he's he really, really, nice? really polite. Yeah, he's yeah, really yeah. he's really into British comedy. He's been on QI and things like that. He's uh, <laughs> <laughs> a really nice man. Yeah, you know what? Just, that doesn't surprise me at all, because I was joking when I said they're nice, but I kind of thought they would be, because when you're working that hard to be really crazy... Do you know what I mean? And dangerous. Yeah. That it's almost always if you if you have to work that hard at it, that it means that in reality you're the other extreme. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> he's sober as well, isn't he, Johnny? I think he is, yeah. He's, yeah, he's yeah. he just seems like a nice man. Mm. Anyway, it's nice um, to know. Um, Sam, we'll move on to your dream festival. So to begin with, we're gonna need a name for it and a location where it's gonna take place. Well, I think as a name, there's only one name I can choose, and that is based on a tour poster that we had, my wife and I, spotted years ago, and we loved it so much that it was huge. And I can't remember where where we saw it. I think she might have found it on eBay. And we actually bought it, and it was a tour that we hadn't been on, a band we'd never seen, but we just thought it was the best gig poster ever. And it was for Cool and the Gang for a tour they did in about 1984. And the tour was called Funk Emergency Tour, right? <laughs> and on this poster, uh, there's Cool and his gang, and they're all sort of running as if they're involved in a funk emergency, <laughs> right? Um, towards the camera, right? <laughs> but they're also smiling, so it's weird. It's like a mixture of panic, <laughs> but also joy, which is exactly how you would imagine responding to a funk emergency. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's an emerge, it's it's funk, so I'm happy because everyone likes funk music. But at the same time, it, it's an emergency. You're in a rush, so I'm 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 feeling fucking scared, a little bit scared. So, um, <laughs> and also, Cool and the Gang were just dressed amazingly because a lot of people forget how big and popular jumpers were in the '80s. When people talk about '80s clothes, they think about people dressed like Madonna or Spandau Ballet, right? Fair enough. 
But the truth is, is that a lot of us were wearing sort of quite, you know, uh, fancy chunky knit jumpers, right, from places like CNA that were sort of like ski jumpers with like kind of short collars and like funky patterns knitted into them, right? That was a big thing in the 80s that doesn't get mentioned enough, in my opinion, the 80s jumper. <laughs> and Cool and the gang, they knew what, all about it because they were all wearing these kind of CNA jumpers in the Funk Emergency Tour poster as they were running towards the screen. But it was really like a, like, you know, those sort of 50s B-movies where it's like, you know, Attack of the 50-Foot Woman or The Swarm, and it's always like loads of people running towards the camera like, ah, that's what Cool and the gang were doing. But the best thing about it was it was called the Funk Emergency Tour. And I love that so much. I thought, I can't better that. So I will call my festival Sam Delaney's Funk Emergency. That's fucking great. Like, top of my head, I mean, we've done like 30, 30 35, whatever episodes. That's uh, that's that's definitely up there. It's one of the best. It's very like... Well, I've, I've, I've stolen it. To be fair, it, you know, it's, it's cool in the gang. Cool, cool or one of the gang came up with it. Or maybe <laughs> they did it co collaboratively. I don't... I actually don't know how... Cool ran his gang, whether it was a benevolent <laughs> dictator sort of thing or whether it was more of a democracy. I don't know. It's cool. uh, whether, whether it was Stalinist, huh? Is it spelled with a K, much like Kevin Pease? Of course it is. Cricket. Yeah, it is. Mate, come on. He's not fucking playing games. He's not going to play it with a fucking, he's not going to spell it with a C. It's like a, like a kid would. <laughs> cool is not fucking about. He is cool with a K. <laughs> Uh, uh and and yeah so obviously i would you know i've i've nicked it off of them and i would have them at the festival they'd have to be i don't know if they'd headline but they'd certainly be there and they'd be getting well paid because i'd be grateful to them for giving me the idea great okay um what else do you need johnny sorry days of the week don't we yeah the location Oh, location. Yes, we do. Yeah. Well, I thought long and hard about this i won't take you through my thought process so i'll just tell you what i decided last minute just before we were talking which was i thought it'd be really good to have it in some sort of african safari location right yeah. so um i actually i can't i've never been on safari but i've always wanted to go right yeah. and so if you kind of go right um the best biggest fanciest safari lodge in south africa yeah yeah um where there are lions tigers <laughs> giraffes and hippos and zebras and all them all roaming free oh, right wow but they're not in festival because that'd be dangerous yeah but they're sort of nearby so it lends a frisson do you know what i mean yeah because it, it, there's there's a lot of reasons for it i sort of think mainly it's like if you're if this is a fantasy scenario where you're going to me right you can do whatever you want you can have it well i've one thing i've always wanted to do is go on a safari and see all of the animals right so I might as well double up. But also, yeah. there is something so exciting and glamorous about being surrounded by wild animals whilst you're watching really great bands and listening to fantastic music. But in the background, you can hear like the shrieks and roars of like these magnificent creatures, right? Maybe you even see like giraffes poking their heads over the stage or whatever. So that, so that, I just think that would be amazing. And also like. I'd sort of make it like you can stay in tents. There's plenty of room. It's dangerous. You might get eaten. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I kind of would be really comfortable that the whole kind of, Hey man, everyone's in it together at a festival. 
whilst it's sort of in some ways you think it chimes with with uh, what I, you know i i have i live i try to live by socialist principles i consider myself a socialist on one hand but on the other hand i'm an elitist when it comes to a situation like this and i want to be in the fucking luxury lodge in the best room right so yeah yeah and let, and let the other fuckers get eaten by dingoes or whatever it is <laughs> Well, I want to know, before this, we were talking about um, uh, cats having sex, as mm. these two are both catmen. And uh, mm. I... Uh, Please is, cut this bit out before you even start talking about it, Tommy, because I know what's coming. Is it the right. same with tigers Yes, and it's the same with tigers. It's the same with lions, I know. Well, they they have cock spikes. Barbed, yep. Ooh, okay, 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 fine, yeah. Let's close over that. What is it? You know when they um, crossbreed lions and tigers, like... We saw Ligers. what you call it. Ligers, yeah. Is Napoleon that... Dynamite. What are you drawing? A liger. What's a liger? It's pretty much my favorite animal. It's like a lion and a tiger mixed. Bradford's skills and magic. Is that, do they just like have it off naturally or is that something that has to be forced by the well, I think exotics they, of I this think they get. I think they get forced because the tigers are from India uh, and lions are from Africa. Yeah. So, right. Oh yeah, because I was saying, oh, I want to go to Africa so you can see tigers and lions, <laughs> <laughs> and also dingoes, which I believe are from Australia. Australian, yeah. But you know what? Maybe it's like some Ship sort of fucking mad. Yeah, exactly. It's like if this is, I can do what I want. I'm having it. Well, in, the limited budget. I'm having it in South Africa by a luxury lodge, and I want all of the world's best animals shipped in. I even want big fucking tanks with sharks swimming around in them. Looking at us while we dance. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Modern day Noah. And you're looking at the shark going, up, up yours, mate. <laughs> so we're we going to look at you in, your, in your tank, in your tank, desperate to eat me, but you can't because I'm too busy dancing to fucking <laughs> Gary Newman. <laughs> um, what, what I was going to say. You mentioned hippos as well. Did anyone yeah. see that video going around on Twitter the other day of a fucking hippo swimming? No. Oh my god, it is terrifying. Like they, you know, like a probably not not as fat. They're like a fucking speedboat, mate. Like they're yeah. they're lethal, aren't they? Well, they're fucking dangerous bastards. Like you think the it, biggest it, killers it, of. I mean, I know everyone knows this, but they're bigger biggest killers of humans in the wild. I didn't know that. Didn't you know that? Yeah, they're the biggest killers of humans in the world every year. Every year, look it up. What animal has killed the most humans? Yeah, Johnny. Yet again. No, they're dangerous because they can run really fast as well. (coughs) Well, (coughs) the main reason, right, is that they hang around in rivers, right, Um, because they're amphibious, aren't they? So they go under the water. I don't know whether they haven't got gills. Maybe they can just hold their breath for a long time. I don't know. (laughs) And um, they and people go along the river on rafts, yeah? And so you cannot see the fucking hippo. But if you go over a hippo and disturb it, like your raft or your boat or whatever, like sort of scratches its back, right? It stands up because you've bothered it. And by standing up, it fucking flips you over, right? Next thing you know, it's chaos. And all the hippo knows is suddenly there's been a load of, there's been an eruption all around it. There's fucking splashing. Suddenly there's humans there and the hippo goes, what the fuck? And it just kills you. Because it's it eating as well. Are they carnivores? Yeah, I think it just like chomps you with its massive fucking hippo jaws and, <laughs> then, <laughs> and then just uh, eats you up. And it's just like, I'm eating you, mate. But in a way, no one's to blame. 
Do you know what I mean? Because the hippos mind its own business. The humans mind its own business. The human accidentally disturbs the hippo without realising it because it can't see it. Next thing you know, there's chaos all around and you can understand the hippo panics if it sees a human coming at it in the water and it's just saying, I'm going to have to eat it. And then the humans, the hippos going, sorry, mate, I've got to do this. And the humans like, I know, yeah. My bad. Yeah. Coming along this hippo river. I didn't know it was a hippo river. (laughs) Yeah, it's bad. But that apparently that is why the death rates are so high. That's mental. Um, Right. Days of the week, Sam. Three days of the week. Bad. I mean, I'd, I'd probably say like Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Uh, it's probably an obvious one. I can't. I don't know. Other days are Lots just... Lots of you think. Other days are, are a bit depressing, aren't they? I mean, when you think of days, uh, you know, the classic order is Saturday, Friday, Thursday, Sunday. And this is like my order of best days. Yeah. And, you know, and then when, like Tuesday... Fuck off. I mean, there's a line there's a line on Seinfeld. It's a Tuesday, so Tuesday has no feel. What's today? What's Thursday? Really? Feels like Tuesday. <laughs> Tuesday has no feel. Monday has a feel. Friday has a feel. Sunday has a feel. I feel Tuesday and Wednesday. Alright, shut up to both of you. <laughs> no, it doesn't have feel, it's just pathetic. <laughs> it, it, it's just rubbish, right? <laughs> and it's it's worse than Mondays because at least Mondays got a character. Do you yeah. know what I mean? You know what it's you like get. Hard, it's hardcore, right? Yeah. <laughs> but and and Wednesday sort of thing. Oh, halfway. Fucking Tuesday. Anyway, boring. There, so I can't stomach any of those days. And Sundays, something about it's like right. when your team, when my team used to play on Sundays in the days when you know going to football for me was just as much about going out and getting on it. It never felt quite right. The, the the sense of freedom you have in your mind on a Friday and Saturday, that sense that you know you have no obligations really the next day is really liberating and really helps. And and even subconsciously, I think doing anything on a Sunday, even if you might have nothing planned for the Monday, I think it's embedded in us from our school days. Yeah. It's that it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. Doing anything on a Sunday, you always have that slight sense of, fucking hell that's life's on in a minute and i've got to go to school in the morning do you know what i mean yeah it's like uh so but thursday you're already starting to feel a little bit liberated from life so thursday friday saturday in the um in south africa out on the plains bang love that funk emergency it does sound good so far doesn't it thursday friday saturday in the middle of this fucking like african safari realm with all these animals, sharks and tanks. The shark tanks really are really is really the, the challenge. Maybe an octopus. I mean, I'm saying you could have anything. You're surrounded by animals all over the place, but they're they're at a safe distance, and you may have, you know, uh sort of people, animal control people with them electric prodding sticks to keep them back if it gets, <laughs> if they get too close, something like that. You're a vegetarian, Sam. I, I thought you. I, were... don't, I, I don't want them to die. I just think <laughs> not eat us. Yeah, it would be, be like that. What was it called? Orange Fest, that one that they made the documentary about on Fire Island. Fire Fest, yeah. Fire Fest. It, it would be similar to that, wouldn't it? If they just were like, oh, a festival, um, a festival run by journalist Sam Delaney in South Africa has ended in tragedy <laughs> when 
4,000 revelers were eaten by tigers and lions that Delaney had shipped in specially for entertainment. <laughs> the lions and tigers became free during a human league set, eating 4,000 revelers and then all three members of the human league. <laughs> you like Seaford and Roy all over again. Yeah, but on a mass scale. Like, I'd, I'd got, like, in all of the world's deadliest animals. <laughs> and they immediately escaped and just killed everyone. I'm, I'm, like a herd of hippos storming into the middle of us. <laughs> really fast. Mm. I'm, I'm imagining you now as, as like, uh, uh, Dr. Evil. Like, uh, I asked for freaking sharks with freaking laser beams <laughs> on their freaking heads. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I have one simple request. And that is to have sharks with frickin' laser beams attached to their heads. Now, evidently, my cycloptic colleague informs me that that can't be done. Uh, can you remind me what I pay you people for? Honestly, throw me a bone here. Yeah, no, I don't want killer animals. I just want exotic animals. And maybe, I don't know, maybe we sedate them or we have electric control sticks. I don't know, but measures will have to be taken to stop anyone dying. But if we can keep them back from the revelers, it's going to be a hell of a weekend. Right. Yeah, so what's uh, we'll begin with Thursday. What's Thursday at Sam Delaney's Funk Emergency looking like? I think I will start with Chic. Thursday night who are a great band to get things started they're like I'm not you know I don't some people would create a gig with an ebb and flow and light and shade um a festival like we'll have this band to lend it a bit of that and then this band to bring things down a bit and be a bit more contemplative but I'm a bit more like no let's make it all a fucking show do you know what I mean everything should be fucking mad 100 miles per hour fifth gear from the off and it shouldn't stop right so i've seen chic a couple of times and uh both and, and they were fucking incredible right it blew my socks off i mean there are a few bands i think who've got such an amazing back catalog especially as they tend to play not just chic tracks but tracks that Nile rogers and, and, and bernard edwards uh, you know were just responsible for um so you know whether that's sister sledge or whatever even even the ones they did for like, you know, Bowie and Duran Duran and people like that in the 80s. Daft Punk as well. Daft Punk, yeah, exactly. They do all of that stuff. So you get a lot of bang for your buck. But the show's incredible. Um, and I, But what I would love to see is the original incarnation, which I never saw. So it was a Tony Thompson on, on drums and Bernard Edwards on, on bass guitar. Because yeah. now basically what you get is you get Noel Rogers a couple of singers who aren't the original singers, but the ones I've seen have been incredible. Uh, but to see the original lineup, which I'm guessing your rules allow, you know, uh, as, they, alive, mate. as they were, as they were in the seventies would be incredible. And I can't really think of an act that would start a party better than Sheik. Um, 
And they looked so cool in that era as well. I mean, Bernard, uh, what's his name? Noel Rogers now always loves the old Samuel L. Jackson Kappa backwards hat, doesn't he? Yeah. But back then, if you look at their album covers, how smooth they looked. And I and I read Noel Rogers' book, which is a, a sensational memoir, by the way. If you haven't read it, give it a go. Um, an amazing life. But he uh, said that, you know, they were, they were doing this disco band. They hadn't taken off yet. They didn't know what they wanted their image to be. And they were in London doing something and they went to see Roxy Music, right? And uh, they saw Roxy Music in London. Wow. And obviously Roxy Music were all wearing beautiful suits, that looked like tailored suits, right? But doing this kind of soulful pop music. And it's really interesting because you would think it would be the other way around, that the yeah. white British band would be influenced by the black American band. But in fact, in this case, they said... They kind of had the music, but they didn't have any idea of what the band should be because Nile Rodgers and, and Bernard were like, they were more like just music nerds. They weren't performers. So they didn't know what they were going to do. And he said, and then I saw Roxy Music and I knew straight away, we're going to wear beautiful suits. We're going to look really stylish. We're even going to fucking call ourselves chic, which is <laughs> the word that he used to describe Brian Ferry, right? Yeah. And then they hired the backing singers and everything followed from there, right? And you see their album covers in the 70s where they're wearing these beautiful suits in like pastel colours with these amazing women. And uh, I would love to see that era of Chic. So they almost like consciously manufactured themselves, like in a way. Like yeah, a lot of bands do that. And, and it's really interesting when you hear stories like that. I remember hearing Radiohead, one of them, um, being like Johnny, I think it is, being interviewed once years ago by Adam Buxton. And them saying, we, we knew we, we could make good songs, but none of us were natural performers and we had no idea what we wanted our image to be. We really didn't want to be like another indie band and dress like that and look like that and come across like that. But we didn't, you know, we didn't want to be like a stadium rock band either. We just couldn't quite work out what we were. And we knew it was a big stumbling block that we didn't have an image. And, uh, and then we saw then Massive Attack came out in like 91 and we went to see them and we just thought they were really cool and the way they dressed was really cool. So we had no other ideas. So we just decided collectively that we would start dressing and acting like Massive Attack, right? Which is a weird thing, isn't it? I mean, they're both great bands and they yeah. both sort of came through in the same era. But again, it's like fascinating when you hear stories like that. It's very similar to the Sheik and Roxy music thing. Wow. Although it's slightly less surprising. But... Uh, yeah, they just thought, well, we'll just do what they do. They kind of dress in uh, dark coloured clothes all the time, you know. And then, and then um, around that time, I'm guessing that would be like uh, Pablo Honey and then the Benz and Tom York. Yeah. But um, he's like bleach blonde hair, hasn't he? He's yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you can see the parallels sort of thing because neither of them yeah. really fitted into a, a kind of a scene, which was one of the good things about both of them, you know. They were both very big in the so-called Britpop era, and yet neither of them were ever regarded as part of that scene, really. You yeah, know, because yeah. they just adopted a slightly different, slightly surprising, unusual image. Yeah. But interesting that Radiohead just nicked it off Massive Attack by their own admission, and Sheik nicked it off Roxy Music. That's mine. I've never, I never, I had no idea of that. That's crazy. Yeah. Is there so, a... Yeah, so Sheik will kick things off on Thursday night. Would you have yeah. anybody else on with on with Sheik on the Thursday. Oh man, I've got so many bands written down here. I tell you who I'd have: Wham, right? Oh yeah, 
I, I really regret what, I first that. Time having Wham. I've never seen yeah. I've never seen Wham and I never seen George Michael. I would have been slightly too young to have gone to a Wham gig. I mean, they're like I think they sort of split up in '86 when I was 11. So I never got to, I never saw Wham and I but I never see George Michael, which I was really gutted about because I I just love George Michael so much. And so if we could have a, and also just fucking Wham up on stage. Have you seen the way? Have you seen them? I mean. They're in most of their videos, you see like there's there's videos where they're on stage performing and you will never see a more effervescent ba- band than them. Pepsi and Shirley, right? Ridgely, Michael, all the lads, and they just go fucking mental, right? They're, and they're brilliant performers. They're full of fucking energy. That's the sort of thing I, I want to see a show. I think George Michael is one of the greatest all-time pop songwriters. And... And uh, and just I also beings, one of the best human beings. Yeah, I just I fucking love him. In fact, when I was editor of Heat, I made one of my ambitions when I got there. I actually called his publicist and said, while I'm here, what I want to do is try and use the magazine and any other platform I have to lobby for George Michael to be knighted. Right. Yeah. And she was like, to be honest, I thought she, I, I stupidly thought she, this is wonderful. I shall arrange a lunch with George immediately. He'll be so touched. Yeah. And she was obviously just a bit like, yeah, and you're art. <laughs> she was like, not not impressed by my plan at all. Which why should she have been? I'm just some fucking twerp. But I think I was power crazed and thought, yeah, everyone's gonna get behind Sam's campaign to get George Michael knighted. Because I couldn't believe that people like you know Rod Stewart and Mick Jagger and all of these lot were getting fucking knighted and George Michael wasn't. I thought maybe it's homophobic. I don't know. Or m- more likely that it was to do not just with the fact that he was out and homosexual, because obviously Elton John is too, but obviously all the kind of crashing his car into snappy snaps, smoking weed, getting his cock out in a toilet, all of that stuff, right? Yeah. You sort of think, oh, the British establishment are like, oh, no, we can't have him knighted. But George Michael was just living out loud. He was just living his best life all the fucking time. And they should have given him a double knighthood. <laughs> One for writing fucking freedom, right? <laughs> Uh, and everything she wants, right? <laughs> and another one just for fucking getting his cock out in toilets whenever he felt like it, right? Uh, wanking in the bushes up on Hampstead Heath. Because you just think, fuck it. Yeah, George Michael's just thought, fuck it, this is how I want to live. But also, do you remember when he died and all those stories came out about like the anonymous donations he made? Yeah, like yeah. That, yeah. Like, uh, uh, that waitress's, um, she couldn't afford, she was working as a waitress in a cocktail bar. No, yeah. But, um, uh, to get through uni and he just like rang off it's like right 10 grand here you go and he yeah he was always watching this morning that's where he got his ideas from because he just sat around smoking weed and watching daytime tv which also i respect and he's just sucking and he just watched this morning and whenever there was a sub story on this morning about some nurse who you know had been left by her husband and now had got ill it just see anything. He was a right mug in a way. And it just forgot <laughs> go, it's George Michael. Tell her I'll give her 100 grand. Bye. <laughs> but he just couldn't help himself. He's like an angel. He's a saint. And it's so sad. I was really, I would say 
when there were, you know, when when celebrities die, I'm fairly robust. I don't, I'm not one of these people who gets too emotional, but because it was Christmas Day as well, yeah, I think that I had so many childhood memories linked to my love of Wham music, and then also like most of his solo stuff, certainly his uh, early solo albums, I just absolutely loved. And I just sort of thought it was such a great bloke. And also something relatable. I mean, even though there was nothing relatable about Faith the era George Michael when he was just like cowboy boots and just mad, fuck, just mad, right? Which I loved as well because he's properly being a pop star, which is what I expect all pop stars to be, which completely influences my list of acts at this festival. I want all pop stars to be fully pop star. And yeah. George Michael got like that. But at the same time, he was from Bushy, right? Which was near like where my grandparents lived and I spent lots of time growing up. It's a sort of pretty kind of like run of the mill, Northwest London slash Hertfordshire suburb. And that whole kind of thing of him being an 80s soul boy, the likes of which I did see driving around in Capri's in West London when I was a kid. And he looked like that when he first turned up on top of the pops. I just thought, fucking hell, this bloke is amazing. So yeah, chic followed by wham. Come on. Yeah, <laughs> with a load of sharks and tigers everywhere. It's gonna be amazing. I, I just just so I can edit this bit in, I want to just big up his buddy, his cover of Somebody to Love after Freddie died. The concert. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> dry vocal and him like rehearsing it's just one of the best fucking live vocals i've ever seen in is that that famous video where he's backstage rehearsing it and bowie's watching him and yeah. going and looks like his mind's blown by it bowie yeah. looks kind of mind blown and like a bit envious but yeah. not in a not in a bad way not in a salty way it's just like all yeah. right I, I, well, george michael is one of the best like white soul voices of all time i yeah. mean his voice is fucking phenomenal isn't it yeah, yeah. um and yeah, I really love George Michael. And he's our first, the first mention on here, I think, of him, isn't it, Johnny? Yeah, I think that's the first time George Michael has been. Would you have him do his solo stuff as well as the one? Yeah, I'd have one of those situations where they come on and do wham, wham, wham. And then there's a little break and they go off stage. Um, maybe Andrew and George go off. Pepsi and Shirley do their, they, they actually had a solo, a, a, a break off career for a while, but I can't remember the name of their songs. And then George comes back on and the light dims, and there's just a spotlight. And George comes on, but he is dressed exactly like he is in the Faith video, right? <laughs> As a super gay. <laughs> gay Superman, yeah? yeah? Right, in a tasseled coat, and the fucking cowboy boots, and this perfect stubble, and all, and a dangly one earring. It's fucking amazing, and the jukebox. And he comes on with his guitar, and he does, like, loads of his best solos. So he does, like, father figure from faith and then he does you know freedom 90 and uh just go for a load of them he'll do a little set of them and then he'll go ladies and gentlemen let's welcome back on stage andrew richley and pepsi and shirley they come back on and probably end with edge of heaven which is the single that wan like bowed out with and there you go bang <laughs>
fantastic. Beautiful. Um, well, Johnny. Should we? Um, what's Fri- what, what's, what's yeah. Friday got in store for us then? Uh, well, let me ask you something. When you're doing a three-day festival, there's three headliners. But is the Friday headliner the most prestigious one, or is it, is it the middle headliner or the last headliner? Whatever you want, mate. Whatever you want. All right. Well, I'm going to say night two headliner, Public Enemy. How low can you go? Death Row. What a brother know. Once again, back is the incredible rhyme animal, the uncannable thief. Public enemy number one. Five folks said freeze. And I got numb. Can I tell them that I really never had a gun? But it's the wax that determined they the X-Bun. Now they got me in a cell, took my records they sell. Cause a brother like me said, well, Farrakhan's a prophet and I think you want to listen to what they can say to you. What you want to do is follow for now. How are the people say? Make a miracle. Keep up the lyrical. Black is back all in. We're going to win. Check it out. Again, this is a band that I've seen a couple of times, and this is a band that puts on a fucking show. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're not fucking around. They're not just going to come out and just do the songs, you know. This is a, an event, a huge event, right? Um, both, both times I saw them in very different venues, my mind was absolutely blown. The stage act... I, like, I tell you what else I like, right? And this sounds like I'm being silly, but it's true. I like an act where there's a lot of people on the stage yeah <laughs> chic as well then yeah i just like it when there's loads of people because i just uh, maybe i feel like i'm getting value for money i don't know <laughs> right but i want to see a big fucking band out there and loads of stuff happening on the stage because i find that exciting like it's just madness it's chaos on a stage right and that's what public enemy are like because yeah. there's quite a few of them and then they've got the what you call them, the s1ws that they're st- security of brief or whatever you call it right <laughs> who just sort of are there really quite scary doing the running man yeah yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> and, and and they're fucking noisy and, they, and there's an aggression and an urgency about it i think it really fits in with the funk emergency theme because it always sounds like there's an emergency going on when public enemy are there right a lot of siren noises in their songs yeah well. yeah yeah just like madness and again that's what i want i like madness i like busyness i like chaos Public Enemy are, yeah, one of the, the greatest live acts I've ever seen. And as a matter of fact, I saw them once at the O2, not the main arena, but the little sub thing, which I can't remember what it's called. Fairly big venue. And yeah. it was incredible. It's one of the best gigs I'd ever seen. And a few years later, I was a you know, fan of them on Facebook. And the Facebook fan group suddenly threw up one of those sort of... I've never been lucky enough to get one of those kind of... Um, just organically spot one of those pop-up gig things before where it's just like flash sale. And there was a flash that said they're playing one gig in London. It's 200 quid, right? And I thought, fuck me, that's a lot. But they are fucking amazing. And it says it'll be very small. There's only 100 tickets being sold or something like that, right? So I think, where the fuck's this? Not joking, right? It was in this, it was in London W4, which is Chiswick, right? right near where I grew up, where my mum's house is. And I looked at the on the map because I didn't recognise the name of the road or the building. So I had to zoom in on it on Google Maps, right? And I'm not joking, right? There's a. It turns out there's a tiny recording studio inside the bus garage near my mum's house where I used to get the bus every day oh, to school, yeah. right? And I had no idea, but this bus garage in a sort of, just off a dreary high street in a pretty run-of-the-mill suburb, right? And I thought, I can't fucking believe this. Public Enemy are playing at the end of my mum's road in the bus garage. 
I thought I was fucking dreaming. So I bought the tickets straight away. I bought one for me, one for my missus, and one for my brother-in-law, right? He's a massive fan of theirs and a good mate of mine. And, uh, yeah, and we watched it. It was 100 people in the room, one of whom was Liam Gallagher, who was <laughs> just standing up front going, go on, my son, all the way through. <laughs> Living out loud. Yeah, just really weird, really weird sort of juxtaposition of characters in the room. And I went outside for something. When I went to come back in, Fucking Flavor Flav was at the door and they were waiting to announce him because Chuck D had gone on first and was doing a thing and then was going to do a big reveal and Flavor Flav was going to come on. Flavor Flav was standing outside. They wouldn't let me in the same door that he was at. So he was having a fag and I stood just chatting to him. <laughs> chatting to Flavor Flav in a bus garage near my mum's house. <laughs> and I keep thinking this was the bu- uh, in 1989 or whatever, I'd have been getting off a bus with, with Public Enemy on my headphones. Life's gone full circle. Weird moments. What were you saying, Johnny? Sorry. I was going to say, did they not try and get Liam Gallagher on stage with them for anything? They did mention him. That would be quite interesting. I wasn't, I thought, I wonder if they're going to even recognise who he is. Do you know what I mean? I I think people, when people talk about who's cool, right? And you think, what is cool? And I was talking to my wife about this recently and said, who is actually cool ever? Because anyone who thinks they're cool or behaves cool, by definition, isn't cool because they're trying. And we were talking about people who we thought could fall into category, but ultimately it was all too corny. And in the end, we decided the only person who we regarded as truly cool ever was Chuck D, right? Uh, because Chuck D is just doing his own thing, right? Uh, and he just, yeah. he, he knows everything. He's the smartest guy in the room. Yeah, he is. You know, yeah. he's the most talented guy in the room. Yeah. He's one of the toughest guys in the room, but he's not really trying to show off. All he's trying to do is do his own thing. And I thought... And that's what I've always thought about Chuck D. And then I thought, Chuck D probably doesn't even know Liam Gallagher is. Not in a cool way, but he's just too busy being Chuck D to be aware of Oasis. What about about Dave Chappelle? I love Dave Chappelle. I wouldn't say he was cool. No? But he's certainly... Prince? Prince too tryhard. I wouldn't say he was tryhard. Cool is not what I would describe Prince as, but like necessarily i mean i think he's amazing but like i don't know something about chuck d there was a self-assurance about him i mean prince is fucking weird right which is yeah. what i like about him he's he's, he's he's brilliantly weird and beautiful more than cool we've got um so uh you have felix white who's on tailenders and obviously he's in the maccabees he had a fucking great story when he came on about so he said when the bands go to australia and he's like it's once every three or four years, you know, when you're doing your album cycle or whatever, and you do all the you do all the festivals in Australia and you tend to travel together on the same planes. Mm. And he said this one time, and Felix went quite a lot anyway for the cricket. He'd go over and watch the cricket and stuff. And he knew Australia, he loves Australia. And he said the, the one, one time they went, and it might have been on like their last album tour, um, and they were with Public Enemy. So it's like just these fucking like you know white boys in the in the band from Brighton, and they yeah. became really good friends. With, Amazing. Uh, so like him and Chuck D said like still kind of email each other. Really, that's incredible. Later. But Johnny, you you might remember better than me. Um, but what was some of there's a couple of great stories Felix White had about uh, Flavor Flav, where he's just they're all on the beach and he's just chatting to Chuck D, and then you look around and Flavor Flav's just on a fucking jet ski. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to see that. 
Flavor Flav on a jet ski. It'd be a great a, name for a horse race, for a, a horse in a race as well, Flavor yeah, Flav on a jet yeah. ski. And there was, he said the, the, one of the best things when they go for airport security and he's got all his fucking clocks and necklaces. <laughs> Amazing. Um, sorry, is there um, any anyone else that day? Well, I could name loads. So let's pick one out. In the spirit of like lots and lots of people on stage I so would it's not a crew to, uh no, yeah that'd be good i <laughs> would love like spree i would love to see sly and the family stone if you want me to stay i'll be around today to be available for you to see i'm about to go and then you'll know for me to stay i got to be me In, in their pomp. It's another band that I think there was lots of them. They were like famously like the first truly kind of diverse act in terms of gender and, you know, ethnicity. Yeah. And uh, and also in terms of their like music as well. So, you know, if you look at a lot of the sort of facts that would probably mix that, be mixed up in any anything that I curated would probably all be represented somewhere inside the music of Sly and the Family Stone. So I think they're a good act to choose for something like this because with Sly and the Family Stone, you get like all sorts of different music, you get rock, funk, soul, pop, probably even elements of jazz and all the rest of it. Not Maybe not hip hop, but certainly a lot of stuff that was subsequently inspired hip hop. Definitely. And they're just fucking loads of them. And I've only ever seen TV footage of them in concert. But again, it's a mad show and it's a wild show. You know, uh, I think I know that Sly Stone still occasionally has appeared at various things in more recent years. But I've uh, most of the stories I've heard is that he's a bit underwhelming now. I don't know whether he's got his own problems or what. But but I think back in the day, incredible public enemy supported by Sly and the Family Stone would be a really good Friday night. That's great. Yeah, I love that. Um, all right. Your final note. Then, so I'm Saturday. Well, headlining on Saturday, it has to be Prince. favorite artist i knew it was coming i was just yeah. I, was, I, was, I was getting a bit worried then to be honest that it wasn't no of course it's going to be prince in fact my my second choice of venue before i settled on the um, you know the safari setting 
was the club from Purple Rain in Minneapolis. Because I thought those, those kind of, I'm, I quite like those festivals that are just in one venue. Like last year, just before lockdown, literally a week before lockdown, I went to the Six Music Festival at the Roundhouse in London. And I thought, yeah, this is more my speed because you're just in one indoor venue. Yeah, I like that. Very nice. You see a few gigs in between acts. You go and have something to eat and a, and a drink. And then you go back. And I thought, yeah, we could do that in the club in Minneapolis. And Better then, like, at the Safari Park, though. Yeah, I mean, of course. But that would have been my second choice. So, yeah, Prince. Uh, I've seen Prince a couple of times. I saw him once at the O2 when he did that. He did the massive tour in about 2007. Huge tour. Um, I think all over the world in which he played just hits. And when I saw him at the O2, he was in the middle of the stage on a round stage with the audience all around him. And he just came on stage and just did one hit after another. No fucking about, no self-indulgent stuff. Was still dancing like he had been in 1982. You know, he was he still looked like he did in 1982. It was incredible. My daughter had just been born, my first child, like not long before at all, like a few weeks before. But we'd bought tickets like a, whenever they'd gone on sale, like a year in advance or maybe six months in advance. And we knew, my wife and I knew, oh, well, this will be only two weeks after the baby's due. But we didn't have a kid. So you make assumptions that are insane. <laughs> yeah. you know, oh, well, it's two weeks. We can easily leave her. We can easily leave the baby with one, one of her grandmas, right? And of course, no fucking way. Cut to having the baby and it's like, no fucking way. I mean, it was mad. It felt a bit mad that even I was going out to this gig, but she said, you can't miss it. And my wife, who's a bigger Prince fan than me, and she's probably, I'd always liked Prince, but it was sort of probably getting together with my wife, who's like a, a bona fide super fan that probably made him, you know. She's like one of the biggest Prince fans you could you could find, isn't she? Yeah, yeah. yeah. She's, she's like an encyclopedia of Prince. She loved him since she was very, very young. She went to a lot of concerts even when she was young. Somehow or another, she got into concerts when she was like, you know, 12, 13, and she'd seen him a lot of times. And so it, it would have been really special to have gone together, but she couldn't go. So I went. <laughs> I actually took one of her mates, right, <laughs> with her blessing. <laughs> and then her brother and another mate. And when, when I came back from this night at seeing her, I said to my wife, she went, how was it? And I made a big mistake. I came in and she was very hormonal, tired, you know, postnatal condition, you know, not feeling at her best at all. Hadn't slept probably for two weeks. Had the baby in her arms, was lying on the bed looking exhausted. And I come in, bit pissed, massive grin on my face. She goes, how was it? And I said to her, I said, the worst possible thing, I said, it's the greatest gig I've ever been. Oh. I said, in fact, I think that's the best night of my life. And she oh. burst out crying. Oh, fuck. Yeah, what, what a dickhead. I know, oh, it's just euphoric. And I didn't think, and it was stupid. But a few years later, he was doing a European tour and we couldn't get tickets in London. And I think I had a few quid at time. Might have been, it was, yeah, it was when I was working at Heat. And so I said, fuck it, we'll go to Milan and see him there because I've got family in Milan. And so I bought a load of tickets and we flew to Milan on the night of the gig on like a Wednesday night. Saw him in Milan. He was amazing, like blew the fucking roof off. Right. And then the next morning we got a plane at like 7 a.m. and got back to our like desks by 10 a.m. the next morning. So wow. it felt it felt quite sort of exciting and glamorous thing to do, but it was fucking worth it as well because the gig was unreal. But it was just exciting. Fly to, uh, fly to Milan. Took my cousins and my auntie, 
who was probably like in her late 60s or something, who loved it, <laughs> uh, took all the Italians and then fucked off the next day. <laughs> anyway, both gigs, absolutely incredible. There couldn't be a better, there could not be a better headliner for anything than Prince, in my opinion. Prince just has a lot. I don't know if you've, um, well, you, you, you might, you might, you probably do know this, but uh, I don't know if you, any of you have listened to the Dissected podcast where it's like this guy, um, he's got quite a big budget and it's grown over the years, but he goes through like rock and roll stories and like, you know, the tales of their drugs and stuff. But Prince is an interesting one because he was never a big drug guy. He would just be like, he'd try it. He'd be like, what's everyone on now? I want to try ecstasy or whatever. Um, and it wasn't until later in life. So, you know, you were saying about him like performing loads and still doing all that and moving about. The reason he got into drugs, into painkillers and like yeah. um, um, prescription painkillers, because he was he just performed too hard and he refused and he was, to not He was always perform. dancing in heels as well, yeah, which apparently yeah. fucked his and, spine because he was doing the splits all over the place and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, exactly. And he fucked his body so much that he just had to take these painkillers and then obviously became hooked to him. That's how he sort of sort of died so to you know to end this on a sour note <laughs> <laughs> what, what, prince, what? prince died for all of us though he did what yeah. he did was he killed himself by entertaining us too hard and that's the truth he did and he, he entertained he entertained us so well and so hard for so long that in the end it killed him yeah cleansed himself in the lake of minnetonka that's what he should have done yeah um and it, it, you got anyone else that day so we having cool in the gang that day Oh shit! Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I haven't really given them something yet. I did really want a sort of a cheeky '80s soul like um, sub tent because '80s soul, '80s soul music is like one one of my favourite genres. Probably my most listened to genre on my Spotify. If you de- dived deep, very honestly, and I wasn't trying to be cool and claiming that other stuff was my most played. You're talking like the likes of the Whispers. Luther Vandross. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, probably Chuck Cool and the gang in there too. Odyssey, D Train, uh, the Brothers Johnson, the you know, um uh Yarborough and Peoples, that kind of music I, I really love because my I I was not old enough to be going out to the clubs that used to play that sort of stuff, rare groove as they called it in the eighties. But one of my three brothers was massively into it. He was like a soul boy, like the like George Michael, I guess. Which and that, that sort of music was being played in the house all the time. I shared a room with him, in fact, growing up. And he would play that sort of music all the time. And I think that sometimes stuff just embeds inside of you when you're hearing it all the time when you're a kid. Which brother was it? My brother Cass, who Cass, is a yeah. QPR terrorist legend, Castellani. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, if you've ever listened to Sam's brilliant podcast, Top Flight Time Machine, you'll you'll probably be aware of uh, of Cass. Yeah, he's a QPR terrorist legend, and him and all his mates were all QPR terrorist legends, and they were all also soul boys. And in <laughs> fact, they had a gang which called itself the Chiswick Soul Patrol, <laughs> and they'd all hang around, and it was all like the full fucking Tachini tracksuit, Adidas Gazelle, or actually it wasn't Adidas Gazelle, it was Deodora Golds, and fucking deer stalker hats the lot like you see that stuff pastiched in silly nick love films and stuff oh, i say silly nick love films i actually love nick love films but you know they're sort of cartoonish at times but that all that clobber was like literally what 
my brother Cass and all of his mates used to, my other brothers were very different. They were into different scenes, but he, that, that's what they all like wore. And they all listened to that sort of music. And I think I just grew up and I just, uh, I think it just embeds itself involuntarily inside of you. And so, yeah, I would put Cool and the Gang in a separate 80s soul tent with all those other acts I know uh, I mentioned, I think. Yeah. And then I'd, and then I'd put Destiny's Child Support in Prince because oh. why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you have Beyonce on before Prince? And then, you know, she'd presumably stay. I, they performed together. You've probably seen it because it's quite a famous clip on YouTube. can't even remember what song it was that they did together. But they performed together, I think, at like the, uh, what do you call it, the Grammys. Yeah. And it's an incredible thing to watch on YouTube. I, know, I can't remember the song, though. But what one of my, I don't know how this came to my head just then, but... Um, Another like favorite Prince fact of mine is that the fact that he um, he got on New Girl the program just because on the tour bus he just fucking loved New Girl so he just rang them up he's like can I come on New Girl uh, yeah that's what and, he uh, did a bit like George Michael in yeah, that they saw they watched TV yeah. and thought ah like we did a on Beat Max Babylon the movie podcast I do we did a, a deep dive into uh, Purple Rain recently and uh, the woman who plays Apollonia the one who he convinces to jump into the lake to Lake Minnetonka or tricks her into jumping into a lake. Very cruel, misogynistic film, actually, Purple Rain in retrospect. <laughs> but the girl who plays Apollonia, it was because, and she's the lead in the star of the film, he was, I read up about how she was cast and he was just watching some, you know, TV serial just in his, you know, in his rig. And he just <laughs> watches like, and it was called Tales of the Golden Monkey. And it was like an Indiana Jones ripoff TV series. <laughs> that went out every Friday night for half an hour. And he just saw some girl in it who he fancied in a minimal role and just like rang, rang up his agent and said, get her, she's going to be the star of the film. And then you, you might know the story that I think Jimmy Fallon tells about him calling him up and saying, meet Fantastic. me now for a game of table tennis, right? He was always up to stuff like that. Yeah. He just Prince was just princing all the time, just like George Michael was always George Michael in. Yeah. <laughs> just well, he, all time uh, mad weird pop stars brilliant the great the great thing about that the Kardashians were supposed to appear on the same episode as Prince was on at this oh, yeah. time and he found out he's like no drop them get me yeah. <laughs> and he's like, I, refuse, I refuse to do it if Kim Kardashian and, and uh, what's the mum called Chris are up he's like if they're on it then I'm not coming, coming on yeah. it you have to choose one of us because yeah, I am Prince. He never sold himself short, did he? That is the thing about him, because he knew, listen, right, 
I am Prince. Yeah, yeah. And I uh, fuck all that being humble. I'm just a normal person. There is nothing normal about me. I am Prince. Yeah. yeah? <laughs> and uh, no, I'm not down to earth. No, I, I, I don't. I am not humble in the least. No, I do not respect other people or other artists. I am Prince. I am the best at everything. Yeah. And, and fuck you. And, and, you know, you've got to respect an artist like that. And, uh, you know, like he didn't do USA for Africa. He didn't do, do We Are The World. And when they asked him, most people made up excuses, like Madonna had to make up an excuse. I mean, he just went, I don't want to do that. I think the song's shit. And I'm Prince. <laughs> but it's for Jerry Prince. I don't care. I'm Prince. I'm not getting involved in that. Oh. <laughs> I only do excellent songs. <laughs> Johnny, uh, Johnny must be so fed up with this, especially to find like. But um, to be fair, Johnny does accommodate my Prince chat. But like, I mean, anytime someone mentions him, then I, I, I'll just. I reckon he must be maybe our most selective person now, Johnny. Do you think? Uh, yeah, I think so. And um, but bless Johnny, got me a Prince candle for Christmas, and oh, um, good. and Johnny's mom drew Prince for me, so I just uh, yeah, so you can't complain. No, no, yeah. yeah. But you're not a fan of Prince Johnny, no? No, uh, other than um, when doves cry, not massively. No, really? when doves cry is one of the one of the greatest songs ever written, ever performed, mm. ever. You know, but apart from that, I've never. My music taste is very far removed from Prince. Johnny's a Yeah. Oh, you like metal and stuff like that? Yeah. Well, punk, to be fair, Johnny's got. Johnny's got me in some really good bands like The Replacements, who I've never listened to before this. And now I fucking love The Replacements. Right. <laughs> but I don't um, really know this stuff, I don't think. But pretty, 80s, you know, if you look at When Doves Cry, well, the good thing about Prince is when you talk about punk, he, you know, he, Prince has a very anarchic spirit, which I think, you know, is in, in tune with like sort of punk and stuff like that. Like Doves Cry is probably his most famous song. People love it because it's a beautifully written pop song that's hard to resist. You know, sometimes. He wrote songs that were like Beatles songs. They were just perfect, like melodies that that no one could not love. You know, like he, they always say, like Raspberry Beret was his tribute to the Beatles, right? But he could sort of do it at, at will, and I think he did that with When Doves Cry. But even that, it's supposed to be the commercial single off his breakthrough album. But he insists in the production of when it starts with his perfectly crisply produced intro, it goes. Din, 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 din. He, he insists on just adding this unnecessary, unnecessary to, to most people, but not to him. But he just goes, yeah, I want it to go like this in the background. <laughs> like it's a David Lynch film. <laughs> yeah, it's a David Lynch, yeah, Lynch yeah, film. Yeah. And they just have like a hum in the background because David Lynch is fucking mad and thinks, I, I need a noise that's going to make people feel slightly on edge and anxious. I don't want it to be comfortable to listen to. Like, it's like, I don't want my films to be comfortable to watch. And Prince is similar. He's like, this is a perfect pop song, but it's too perfect. I want it to also make you feel slightly on edge. So I'm going to do a really scary monster sound. And you just imagine the <laughs> studio going, we love this song, but what's that sound? Is that a mistake? No, that's essential. That's the most important part of the song. Why? Well, either you know or you don't, but I'm not here to explain it to you. All you need to know is this single's not getting released unless it has me in the background going, it's like really, it's, it's horrible. It's really disturbing. And he's going, well, you might think that, but it's actually beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. So that that's the thing about Prince is that like and sometimes you and me it's, just, it's just pop music, isn't it? And he's like, no, no, it's all fucking mad. Yeah. <laughs> um Tommy, do you want to run through Sam's festival for us? Yeah, um Sam Delaney. Uh so your yeah, right. Sam Delaney, your your fest is called uh Funk Emergency, and that is after Call the Gang's uh, uh poster. Called um, what was the what was the actual what's it on the actual poster? It's just called it's, it's their funk emergency. Right, their funk emergency. Yeah, and it's a, a South African safari, but we've shipped in. Well, Sam shipped in all the uh, all the best animals. So you've got like uh, you've got shark tanks, you've got lions and tigers, so you've got all that sort of chaos going on. But they won't be able to attack us. Maybe they'll be a bit um, doped up, or we'll have uh, some. Some just a little, little tiny cattle prod. Not nothing that's going to seriously yeah. hurt anyone. Uh, your festival is on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So Thursday we've got uh, Sheik's original lineup headlining. And uh, no, sorry, Sheik's original head, original lineup. Then followed by Wham, which will then go into George Michael, which will then end on Wham. Friday we've got Public Enemy uh, headlining the incredible Public Enemy, who somewhat saw in a uh, a. Uh, Shed garage, yeah, boss garage by his house. Um, and they'll be supported by Sly and the Family Stone. Saturday, unsurprisingly, we have the irreplaceable, incomparable Prince, and we'll have a like a side stage where Cool and Gang can finally bring their funk emergency to the festival in South Africa. And it's just a, a soul tent, an 80 soul tent as well. Supporting Prince will be Destiny's Child. Sam Delaney, thank you for coming on your fest. My Thank pleasure. You. What a laugh. Cheers, lads. Cheers, mate. Thanks for that. That was episode 33 of Your Fest with the fantastic and incredibly entertaining Sam Delaney and one public enemy, an incredible pick and lots of animals for us to all enjoy in South Africa. Tommy, what did you think of Sam's festival? Yeah, it was pretty much, I don't know, he's a hard man to predict, but he came to us beforehand actually saying, I've thought about, and you know, I make some of him and I do work with him um, on the Alan Johnson podcast, listen to that now. Um, but I, uh, he, so basically we were texting a lot about this. And as we know, one of the great things about this podcast and as we refer to, similar with his brother Theo Delaney's podcast Live Calls, which Johnny's been on, it's one of those that I would like to think the listeners think about a lot because I'm never going to, I'm not famous enough to be like asked on Live Calls, but I always think about what mine is. And Sam was just getting rid, he didn't, he played it pretty cool, but he was thinking about it a lot, what he did. And as we've had in the past, like Ed Gamble and stuff, making databases and grids and stuff, and even people drawing their own posters, which is amazing. <laughs> He was really deliberating, and then he just decided before it's just go fuck it. I'm just going to wing it and like just decide on the day, which is you know it's a good method. And we ended up in South Africa with a tank like shark tanks, which I don't think is something he planned previously. And obviously, he was always going to have Prince because he's uh, he's a massive Prince fan like myself. But yeah, brilliant festival. If I never have to hear the words Prince again, I will. <laughs> If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, you can follow Sam on Twitter at Delaney Man. You can follow Your Fest on Twitter and Instagram at Your Fest Podcast. You can follow me on Twitter, but not on Instagram because it's against lockdown regulations at Johnny Gabriel. And you can follow Tommy on Twitter and Instagram at Tom Andrew Stew. 
and we'll be back again next week for episode 34 of your fest we'll see you there and we love you very much goodbye love you bye bye